Oh God, we do thank you for your faithfulness that's there every single morning, including right now. And we ask, Lord, that we be receptive to the way that you faithfully uh, would be uh, at work to guide us into prayer, into your word. And we continue to pray this in your name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, you may be seated. Uh, My name's Steve, the interim pastor here. It's good to see you all as we've gathered in God's presence. Before we let the kids head off to their session, and before we get into God's word, I want to take a little time to pray about a couple things. I want to let you know that um, last night, Rob Kelly, longtime member here, was taken to uh, St. Anthony's Hospital with, uh, they're not sure what it is, but some kind of distress on his heart. And so they're working on uh, diagnosing that and, and, of course, treating that. So uh, I want to take uh, just a moment. Let's lift up Rob and, of course, his wife, Doris, right now. Just, I'll let you pray silently and just lift them up to our Lord. Lord, for Rob, would you grant your healing? Touch him directly and use the wisdom of the medical folks and give him and Doris your peace. And Lord, as we, we, we pray for members of this family, we also continue to lift up Reed Evans as he is in this long but steady recovery from major, major esophageal cancer surgery and bless him and Kathy today. Continue to pray, amen. Hey, and here's um, another way that uh, I'd like to have us pray. We're celebrating our nation's birthday today. And so we want to be lifting up the United States, and we'll do this in a few ways. We want to read a scripture. In fact, we'll read it together. If we can get that up on the screen from 1 Timothy. And, and, then, and then we're going to sing a prayer. And, and then we'll continue to lift up uh, the United States. So would you, actually, let's read this together. Would you join me in reading from 1 Timothy 2? I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and one mediator between God and human beings, Christ Jesus, it's himself human, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Now let's sing a prayer.
continue to pray. You can remain standing or sit down. Lord, your word does ask us, call us to give petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving for all people. That's pretty tough to do, Lord, but we do lift up this planet to you that you love, that you gave yourself for, but then also for people in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, that all may come to know you. Lord, we um, focus those prayers right now on, on this particular nation, one of hundreds and hundreds that you love in this world, but we lift up the United States of America, and we take a moment each silently just to, to give you thanks in whatever particular ways your spirit would prompt. We give you thanks uh, for our nation. And then, Lord, uh, we know that the United States of America is made up of human beings who are broken, who are fallen, who are sinful, each of us and all of us. And just like we sang, we, we ask that you'd shed your grace. Oh, how much we need your grace. And we ask for mending of our flaws, not just little tiny mistakes, but the ways that we fall so short of your glory. Pray that for each of us and, and for our nation. And Lord, to you, we, we lift up our leaders um, at every branch of government, at every level, federal and state and local, every party, whether we like them and agree with them or not. We lift them up to you from the president down to the school board member. We ask that they have wisdom, that you prompt them to seek after you and to, to humbly know that they don't have all the answers and, and to be respectful of, of those they are elected to collaborate with. And, and we ask that there might be movement toward your best, whatever that is, uh, for our nation at every level. 
Now, Lord, as we, as we pray, we also ask that, that now we could hear what you want to say through your word. And, and we ask that uh, our children, as they have their session together, would be blessed by you and, uh, and come out having learned and, and grown and have some fun. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord, the Lord of all lords, the King of all kings, the, the only one who finally uh, gives us freedom. Amen. Amen. Let's just sing that, uh, that one song again, okay? He's the only one who has conquered the grave. He's the only one who can remove my shame. I am free, I am free, I am free because of the King. He's the only one who can remove my sin. He's the only one who can bring me back to him. I am free, I am free, I am free because of the King. Because of the King. Hallelujah. 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 I will clap my hands. I will stomp my feet. I will sing. Hallelujah. 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 I am free. I am free. I am free. Because of the King, I am free. I am free, I am free, I am free. Because of the King. I am free, I am free, I am free. Because of the King. Amen. Hey, we'll let the kids head off. We've prayed for you guys. There any in here? If they want to go to Children's Church, they're welcome to, to go at this point. And uh, let me invite you to turn in the Bible to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, is that what someone said? The shortest man in the Bible? There's a, there's a, there's a Jerry says for you. <clears throat> Nehemiah, the shortest man in the Bible. Nehemiah. Oh, I learned something today. Now, wait, I, I got to preach you guys, so... <laughs> Okay, go ahead, Tom. I it was Peter because he slept on his watch. <laughs> Peter slept on his watch. You think, have to think about that, Duckworth. Okay. <laughs> so, Nehemiah. Hey, thank you, Chris, Tiffany, and Vicki, and Brandon. Here's a man we're going to look at. Nehemiah, a man willing to take God-led risks to see and face what was broken and step into what God was building. To take a risk to see what was broken down, to step into what God was building up. And my question today, I'm asking myself and I'll ask you, how might, be, how might God be asking us to do something similar in our lives? Uh, to, to see what might be broken that yet God's building up in our own lives, in, in Christ's body, in the church, uh, around us, neighbors, our nation, whatever it might be. So we're going to look at Nehemiah now. I've already said this, but just, what, what book in the Bible is Nehemiah found? This, Nehemiah. Yeah, that's right. Okay, this is a hard one. Okay, so once you find that, uh, 
the easiest way to find Nehemiah, if the, right in the middle is the huge, huge collection of Psalms. So just go to the left of that a little bit. You'll find Nehemiah. But uh, as, as you look for that, let me give a little context for his story. It's in uh, 586 that the um, Babylonian Empire moves into Israel and uh, destroys the city, destroys the sacred temple, takes most of the Jews captive, <clears throat> takes them back east to Babylon, current-day Iraq, and, and now hundreds and well, thousands of Jews are in exile. Uh, then it's 47 years later, in 539 B.C., that the Persians, current-day Iran, uh, they conquer um, and take over the Babylonians, and, and they allow some of the Jews, not all of them, but allow some of the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and to uh, begin slowly to rebuild their nation and even um, <clears throat> a version of the sacred temple. Well, Nehemiah, in the meantime, is, is born into exile. He's still in exile, and he's taken to Persia, and somehow he becomes, he rises to the level of the king's cupbearer, it says. Now, the, a cupbearer is not just like the royal butler or something. Uh, it's, it's actually a kind of a trusted advisor. So it's a pretty good, pretty good gig that Nehemiah has. But you can tell as you read even early on here in Nehemiah that, that he's not settled. Um, he's, he's a thousand miles or so away from his homeland, Jerusalem. He's never been there. He's never even seen it. And yet he's homesick because he knows as a Jew, that's where he belongs. So let's listen to Nehemiah tell his own story. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, which by the way is um, kind of late November, early December, uh, in the 20th year, and that's the 20th year of, of the king's reign of Persia, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah, that is from Israel, with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Turns out that Nehemiah spends 100 days mourning, fasting, and praying. And it's, it's a beautiful prayer. We're not going to go into it in detail, but he, he exalts God as the God of all gods and his greatness, his proven love. Uh, he acknowledges his people's sin, not just his own, but collectively the sins of his people. They're kind of reaping what they've sown in many ways. Uh, he's pleading for forgiveness for himself and for them. He's pleading for restoration, and uh, he's, 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 he's asking God, could I have a role to play in that restoration? And so his specific request is, Lord, would you move the heart of the king to give me permission to go to Jerusalem and, and to help with this restoration? Now, if you go to um, chapter 2, let's watch what happens. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This could be nothing but sadness of heart. 
I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? And it, you see this throughout the, book, the story. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. He keeps, keeps constantly going back to the Lord. Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in, in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. I went to Jerusalem, and uh, you know, the king gives permission, so he, and, the, and the king uh, does give permission. He, he uh, provides supplies, all kinds of resources for the rebuilding of the city. And uh, chapter 2, verse 11, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days... I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dun gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Uh, by the way, here's a, a drone photograph of the city back then. At, well, maybe it's not a, it's a model. And, and by the way, you know, we think of Jerusalem as a huge city. This sits on about 10 acres, which isn't all that much larger than even the property here. But that's the, probably roughly what the city looked like back then um, before these walls, uh, after the walls get uh, rebuilt. So then it goes on to say, the officials, verse 16, the officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work? Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? You see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let's start rebuilding. So they began this good work. The rest of the, the story is largely about that project. Now you might say, okay, that's nice, big deal though. A guy rallies a crew for a renovation project. Well listen, the story of Nehemiah, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, which by the way is critical in and of itself in a war-torn part of the world back then. To have walls was not just a fancy deal. Uh, it, it was absolutely crucial. Uh, but actually, even more than that, this is the story of God. This is the story of God rebuilding not just broken walls, but broken people. And, and for this first generation of Jews uh, back in Jerusalem after two generations of exile, it's, it's a really difficult time. The initial thrill of getting back home, that's kind of faded, even totally died. Uh, the temple that they build is, is really a, a kind of mediocre replica of, of the great temple of Solomon, and it's disappointing. And there are all these struggles, just, just trying to rebuild a nation, and, and there's fierce opposition from the population around Jerusalem, and it's all led to a kind of stagnation of their heart. They've lost energy, hope, and incentive, motivation to, to do much of anything. And, and what Nehemiah sees as he inspects the walls and what he shows them 
is not only broken walls, but broken people. But he also sees and he shows them God's promises. And he shows them that God is on the move. That God wants to do something here. Ultimately, this is one scene in the huge story of everything where this God who created us, whom we rejected, this God is making all things well, all things new. You see it in Ephesians, one of the most profound verses in the New Testament, Ephesians 1, 9 through 11, where Paul says, the mystery of God's will, if you really want to know what it is, here it is. According to um, uh, God's purposes, manifold, uh, fulfilled in Christ, is to, is to bring all things together, all that's broken, to bring it all together under one head, which is Jesus Christ. And then it's, uh, it, it's related to what Jesus tells the disciples. He says, I will build my church. Not talking about a building or just an institution. He's talking about, I'm going to build my people within all that I am doing to heal this broken world. Uh, what Nehemiah is doing is related to the reason this church exists. Like we have up on the banner, we exist to follow Jesus. Well, what's he doing to, to, to lead us into passionately loving God, connecting, growing, serving, to live out his good news uh, for this, this broken community and world. And for that to be more than just a slogan up on a banner, Jesus wants to open our eyes. He wants to open our eyes to see, number one, the brokenness around us and in us. We just have to see it. It's not pleasant. We don't want to dwell on it, but we've got to see it. Take a risk and and really look at it, what's broken in us and around us. But then number two, Jesus wants to open our eyes to a greater reality, and that's God. That's himself, who can redeem anything and everything. And, and to place our trust in him and follow him into his making all things new. So here's, here's the question I'm asking myself and ask you again. What risk or risks might Jesus be prompting to follow him into seeing what's broken down and then step into what he's building up? Now, a few possibilities. It could be kind of similar to Nehemiah. It could be something kind of like exiles, if you will. It, it might be, exiles could be, uh, people in the community that are literal exiles, like refugees. Uh, I mean, you've got some neighbors, coworkers that, that have been displaced. Um, immigrants. It could, could be people more figuratively have been like exiles. Uh, people who are bullied. People who are pushed to the, the edges. We all know people like this. Maybe you feel that you're one of them. Do we have eyes open to see them? They're, they're pushed to the outside. Do I see it, that, that I might follow Jesus alongside them? It, it might be um, to open your eyes to the brokenness in various relationships. And some are broken very badly. We've been hurt by people, or, or they've been hurt. We don't know how to help them. Can we, can we see them? We can't fix them, but can we look at them through the eyes of Jesus as, as image bearers, God's image bearers, as those for whom Jesus Christ died and was raised? And, and then can we say if they've offended us, can we not, not excuse them, but forgive them? Place the hurt that we have 
And, and all of us probably have some version of this. Can we place that hurt into the hands of God, the Father, into the cross? And you're doing yourself a favor to give him the weight, just the weight of carrying around that grudge, that anger, that hurt, whatever it might be. Uh, maybe the risk is, is just facing some kind of other brokenness in yourself. You just got to face and really see that you've got some, some grief, some anger, um, just distractions. Maybe it's some kind of addiction. You, you need to you know, face it and face it in the presence of God and be turning that over to him. Uh, maybe it's in all this, the risk of just offering yourself to God. And maybe you're nervous about that, but can you offer all that you are, more and more of yourself to more and more of this God who held nothing back for you and for me? You know, today we're celebrating America's birthday, of course, and it's really worth doing. You know, every 4th of July, um, I pull out uh, the Declaration of Independence. My kids sometimes liked me reading it, sometimes not. But anyway, we, and we didn't maybe read the whole thing, but... But we also for sure read these very famous lines uh, from 1776. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yet today I praise God that I just happen to have been born into a nation that has this kind of aspiration, uh, that pursues equality, rights, and freedom, and so on. I take it for granted, but I thank God that that I live in a nation like this. And historically, I, th I think most of you know that much of this, if not, mo well, most of it really is, is rooted in a biblical view of reality. You can trace it back uh, several centuries. It's really a couple of things. If God is the only sovereign king of everything, then nobody else, no human being, gets that position to be totally in control. And then the, the, the second major thing is that if, if all humans, every single human being is made in God's image, uh, then no one has more value, uh, more freedom, more rights than another. Uh, there, there, there's that, that, that equality, that sense of, of rights given to every human being. But listen, would, so let, let's praise God for that, but would you agree that if we're grateful for our nation and its aspirations that are built into its traditions, its laws. Don't you think then we need to have our eyes opened to, to see where we, we're not there yet, where it's, it's broken? There's not an either or, like you're either for America or, or you see all the problems. No, you, if you love America, you, you'll, you'll have your eyes open uh, to the ways that as we sing, the flaws need to be mended. And, and here's the tragic reality even related to this wonderful statement penned by Thomas Jefferson. <clears throat> the idea, the concept, that all men are created equal uh, with rights was for a long time did not include females, right? Who had, had absolutely no right to vote. They're every bit as important as the men uh, throughout history, including early American history, but they had no, no privilege, no right to vote and certainly not to Native Americans, uh, who had, they had no rights. In fact, even in the Declaration of, of Independence, they're, they're called merc merciless savages, and obviously not American slaves. Uh, no freedom, much less representation or vote. 
And today, not the unborn, in many cases, not seen as creed equal rights to live. Um, you know, like every single nation on the planet, America is full of human beings that are broken. We're, we're flawed. And, and so, again, we keep praying what we just sang. God shed your grace on this nation. Doesn't mean we condemn it. Doesn't mean we're, uh, we're giving up on, on the dream of America. We're, no, we, because we love it, we, we pray for it. And know it needs God's grace and ask that God mend its every flaws. Um, now, one thing that you do see, I mentioned this briefly, that you see in Nehemiah is the way he's confessing sin. But he's confessing, sounds funny, but he's confessing the sin of his ancestors. You say, well, wait a minute. That, you can't do that. Well, no, you have to do it. It's a way of breaking generational strongholds that continue to have an impact. You don't condemn them, but you confess that my people, my people have fallen short. And it's a way of breaking, it's, it's, it's breaking against generational strongholds. And, and you, you see that echoed in many Christ followers in the early days of America, especially in the 1800s, uh, where they, they, they prayed, they confessed these kinds of sins where we weren't living up to God's word, in, including even ideals like this. And they not only prayed fervently, but they invested themselves in pretty gutsy kind of practical love. And just one example, the fruit of those prayers in that action was uh, just one example is Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation that said, no, oh, slaves... Slaves are created equal in the image of God. And so the Emancipation Proclamation, right in the middle of the Civil War, legally at least, gave them freedom for the first time in American history as a nation. And, and then, of course, um, as, as many people celebrated a few weeks ago, June 19, 1865, word finally got out west to Texas, the last slave state. And, and so we celebrate Juneteenth. Um, these are just examples of his followers of Jesus. The, the, one and only king, uh, the king of all kings. Uh, we, we look beyond just this or that political party or this or that political solution, not to put our heads in the sand, but to, as, as we say, to live out the good news, which is God's love for every human being. And, and we seek, we can't do it on our own, but we seek to to, to provide to be anticipations, anticipations of a whole new creation that's coming that began in the resurrection. When I think of Nehemiah, when I keep, when I keep raising this question, what are the risks that Jesus would be prompting me to follow him and so on, to see what's broken, to join him in what he's building up. When I think of Nehemiah, when I think of the risk he took to leave a really comfortable situation in Persia and, and to take on this really difficult and opposed task, um, I, every time I read Nehemiah, I also think of this man, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I've talked about him before, uh, the German pastor and theologian. And uh, interesting, I, I love his story. Uh, he grew up in a very secular home. Never, ever, ever went to church, but a brilliant family in Berlin. But for some reason, I don't think he even knew why, he started to study theology as a, as a brilliant young man. He even did two doctorates in theology 
And it's only after doing two doctorates in theology that as, in his, as he says in his words, the theory of God became the reality of faith. The theory about God became the reality of faith. And he lived it out. So in the early 1930s, when the Nazis were managing to control the state church and all too many, all too many German Christians were uh, basically saying that, yeah, this guy's got answers here. So, so essentially they were allowing politics to, to uh, kind of hijack their own faith in many respects. But while this was happening, um, Bonhoeffer was, was running an illegal school and community for pastors. And he also was, was preaching in various ways the message that, um, that Jesus alone is pure. I've got him into some trouble. Jesus alone is leader. Jesus alone is Lord. Not any person, including a man named Adolf Hitler. Well, in 1934, a group of American theologians talked Bonhoeffer into accepting a teaching position in New York City. And they, they appealed to him saying, you could help Americans better understand what's happening in Germany. You know, this is, of course, quite a, quite a few years before the war started. <clears throat> but trouble was brewing in, in Europe. <clears throat> and, and they said, you can also help, help maybe Americans deal with the problem of European refugees, you know, especially Jews who are more and more fleeing Germany and, and coming to America. Um, it mainly, mainly, they just wanted to save his life. They knew he was in a risky situation. And so Bonhoeffer came to New York in 1934, but his letters and prayer journals show how increasingly he was restless. And so at first he was just torn and confused, though not without trust in God. Uh, here's one thing he wrote in his journal. When the secrets of one's own heart are not to be fathomed, when the tangible accusations and excuses of hopes and fears renders everything in us opaque, only God can see clearly into the depths. And there he finds a name which he himself has written, Jesus Christ. Isn't, isn't that a beautiful statement? I'm confused. I don't know what's going on, but I know the Lord's with me. And that, that gave him some steadiness. Then he says, I no longer know where I am, but he knows. And in the end, all acting and doing will be clear and clean. Well, within a few weeks after writing this, um, he came to a resolution. Um, he said, uh, I've had the time to think and to pray about my situation and that of my nation and to have God's will for me clarified. I've come to the conclusion that I made a mistake in coming to America. And I must live through this difficult period in our national history with, with the Christian people of Germany. I shall have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share in the trials of this time with my people. So despite the protests of all his friends, he took the first, one of the last boats back, last ships back to Germany. Um, as you may know, he was not given the opportunity to engage in the reconstruction of Germany after the war. He was um, arrested, was in prison for two years, 
And then just a couple months before Adolf Hitler, actually just a few weeks before Adolf Hitler committed suicide, and uh, uh, the Allied troops came into Berlin, uh, Adolf Hitler was hanged at the age of 39. His, oh, thank you for that correction. That's an important one, yeah. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged by the Nazis. His last words, I have them up here, at least heard by anyone, was to a fellow prisoner just before he was led naked to the gallows, showed his trust in Jesus that enabled him to live courageously and well, but also die in peace. And he said, this is the end, but for me, just the beginning. This is the end, but for me, with Jesus Christ, just the beginning. So friends, what about you and me? Are we, are we willing to take some risks? God led, not just any risk, but a God-led risk of following Jesus? And I don't know what it is. Ask the Spirit to show you. But to take some risks into really facing what's broken, but then stepping into what God's doing, what God is healing, what God's doing to build up. Um, whatever that might be. So let, let, let's take uh, a, a few moments in his presence uh, with this question and just ask God to show you what, what risk he might be asking of you and, um, and then pray as you need to pray. Now I invite us to uh, place the the focus of our hearts and minds squarely on on Jesus as Lord as we take the cup and the the bread of communion. And and so you'll find in front of you the the double cup. I invite you to take that. It's gluten-free bread along with the juice. We think back how Somehow, with, with, with you and me and every human being in mind, uh, Jesus knew what was about to happen. He, he knew that, you talk about a risk. He was risking everything to utterly, totally give himself for us that we might belong to the Father. And so as he took um, the bread of the Passover meal, uh, he said, this is my body given for you. Take this, remembering me. Let's take the bread together. And after the Passover meal, he took the cup, the last of several cups. And he said, this is a cup of a new covenant, a new promise, a new bond, a new agreement made for the forgiveness of your sins. Uh, Drink this, remembering me. 
we give you our praise, Lord Jesus Christ. We acknowledge that we are not worthy of your absolute love, your forgiveness, <clears throat> your promises. But we, we uh, acknowledge and proclaim that you are worthy and that you have um, embraced us with this grace, this forgiveness, this promise of new life, the gift of your Holy Spirit. And I ask that these reminders would be not just the taste of bread and a drink, but, but the reality of your transforming love would all the more sink into our lives and, and overflow into all that we do and say alongside others in this broken world. We pray this in thanksgiving and expectation and hope in your name, Jesus. Amen. Before um, we leave this place, a lot of us would be wise to receive some prayer from someone or just share a blessing. And uh, so uh, those of you who are willing to pray, as I've done the last few weeks, just raise your hand and say you'd be happy to pray with someone and 
just find them and take a few minutes. And uh, we do want to allow a little time. Some of you might even just need to kind of stay still and keep communing with, with the Lord about this or that. Uh, but do find someone to pray with them. Um, af- after maybe five minutes or so, people have had a chance to, to connect and, and pray. Uh, we're going to give you a, a small gift, um, a, a nice gift. We had a link in Thursday email with uh, a song sung by Tom and Vicki Duckworth's granddaughter, Bethany, who happens to be right here with her mom and dad from California. And she sang the national anthem at a, was it a minor league baseball game there in California? She's amazing. Uh, so what, let's, let's allow maybe four or five minutes, though, for people to have a chance to, if they really need to right away go to some prayer, we'll do that. But, um, and then, then uh, leave the card, the connection card in the offering box, as well as any regular gifts for our mission, as well as on Communion Sunday, we, we invite people to make special gifts to our Benevolence Fund, which is helping people who are going through tough times. But let, let's all stand together. As you go on your way, may you know that the risen Jesus goes with you. He's, he's above you to watch over you. He goes before you to lead you. He's behind you to give you encouragement. He's beside you as your eternal friend within you to give you his peace. Go in his name and presence. Amen. Thanks, Michael.
and gentlemen, at this time, we ask that you all please rise and remove your caps for the singing of our national anthem. Singing tonight's national anthem is Bethany Duckworth. There is none like 